So, yep, as Sue said, we're reading from Psalm 130, and you can find that on page 618 in the Blue Bibles. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, keep a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Good to be with you. There we go. Hi, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, Great to be uh, here this week after Christmas and our big Sunday last week. Uh, A special welcome to all the visitors. There's, I reckon, nearly more visitors than our regulars that have all gone away. So it's great to be with you. And if I didn't meet you at the front... um, uh, it's lovely to have you here today, and I trust you're encouraged by God's Word as we reflect on it, and uh, I'd love, love to catch up with you a bit more for a cup of tea, coffee after the service as well. Before we kick into it, can I just remind you of a couple of things? Um, if, if you grabbed a booklet, and I put some on the, um, the seat at the back there if you wanted to grab one, uh, you'll see that Michael Stevenson is going to be doing an apprenticeship with us next year, and we've got him up the last uh, week, or, week or so. Uh, to uh, find out more about that. He's back home in Canberra um, telling people about that as well as he's um, spending Christmas uh, there. But what we've got um, as of today is a little flyer about him doing the apprenticeship that Jack did um, and Michael's going to do. Um, so you can grab them up on the back table. Don't forget to grab one of those and it fills you in all about um, what, he's, what he's going to be uh, getting up to and we're going to have our first kind of launch of it um, just in a couple Saturdays' time, if you can make it, uh, um, on a Saturday afternoon at, at uh, my house, uh, just to fill you in on uh, Michael's new venture, going out of the Defence Force uh, into uh, full-time ministry as an apprentice, and very excited about that. So please uh, grab that and um, and think about uh, how you can pray and support him, and I'm sure he'd love to talk to you about that as well. well let me pray. And then let's get into this great little psalm. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can be with you this morning. Uh, after a, a busy a week, probably for many of us, as we um, spend time with our family, friends and others, uh, as we uh, remember your son coming, today, Lord, help us to see that with your son coming and what he did, we can journey through life with you. Amen. All right, well, where we left off last Sunday night, we had our carol service, if you if you weren't aware, last Sunday night, and it was a great time. Thank you to everyone who really got involved and made it happen. I thought it went really, really well and very thankful to God for it. Uh, we left off with what's becoming a bit of a tr- tradition at cr- Christmas time for us with O Holy Night. And I think in many ways this psalm kind of is a little bit like a holy night in that it takes us on a journey. As O Holy Night 
uh, goes, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of the dear Saviour's birth, long lay the world in sin, in error pinning, till he appeared and the Spirit felt its worth. That night where Jesus comes meant the sin of the world can be dealt with and we can live a life with God because of it. I think this psalm is a little bit like that. See, Psalm 130 is in in the midst of Psalm uh, 120 to 134, which are called the Psalms of Ascent. And there are a number of kind of theories or ideas what they're all about. But I think one of the most persuasive ways of seeing them is that these were Psalms that were sung as God's people, Israel, were on a pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem for all the annual festivals that they had to do. If you're not aware, that the Israelites had all these festivals that they participated in um, to strengthen their relationship with God, to renew their covenant and to remind them that they're totally dependent upon God, like the Passover, like Yom Kippur and others. And so the Psalms in 120 start, start outside Jerusalem and then they end in Jerusalem in 134. There's a movement. They describe a journey throughout all the Psalms and then when we narrow in, like in Psalm 130... What we actually see is that this psalm in and of itself is a journey. It's a journey from sorrow to forgiveness to faith and then witness. The great uh, reformer who turned the world on its head by showing us that we live by faith, Martin Luther, loved this psalm. He described it as one of his favourites. He described it as one of his favourites because he was obsessed with Paul where he saw you justified by faith and he saw in this psalm really we capture our place before God and the incredible mercy and and forgiveness that is part of God's character. And I want us to see that today. I want you to journey and reflect on where you are before God. Whether you're a long-time follower of Jesus you're just starting out on your journey or you're not even sure whether Jesus is for you. This psalm gives us a good chance to pause and reflect. So let's do this together. There's an outline there if you want to um, jot down some notes, if that's helpful for you. But let's have a look at the first few verses. The verses of sorrow, verses 1 to 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Hear, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. See, the psalm starts in depths, the depths of despair. It's a cry of self-realisation and we don't really find out uh, till verse 3 what the issue is. But it's not merely suffering in general, but the source of suffering is him coming to grips with what he's done what he's like, who he is. And he doesn't like it very much. For the psalmist, it's a moment of kind of crystal clear clarity. A moment where he's realised he can't blame others for his failure. I cry for mercy. He can't blame others for his failure. He can't explain his shortcomings where he might be suffering physically, but he's self-aware enough to know that the physical suffering has been brought about by his choices in life. And so into the silence of his own existential dilemma, 
into a world where cries of pain just seem to echo back, he calls out to God. He's crying to God. Mercy. I've got nothing to bring. All I could say to you, God, is have mercy. I want you to see, I want you to feel the cry of desperation in his, in his words. A cry of a man who knows that what he's suffering, what he's suffering from, he cannot fix. He, he's at rock bottom, basically. You might have been there. You might not. Maybe you might be trying to pretend that this is other people and not you. Many are openly where the psalmist is in verses 1 to 2. Feeling broken, in the depths, alone, and then look at everyone else and feel like everyone else has it together. Many of us, I think, can be feeling like that. But we make sure we keep our guard up. Well, at least I know that's what I like to do. We like to remain, keep the uh, charade of being broken hidden down. Interestingly, though, as we come to Jesus, Jesus spent the majority of his time with broken people. We hide our brokenness, and yet Jesus went to the broken people. And it was those who had it together, well, had it together in their mind, that he really kind of challenged. There was one time in Mark's Gospel when the respectable were having a go at him for spending time with those that they were called sinners. And in Mark 2, right at the beginning of, the, of that Gospel, that biography of Jesus' life, Jesus said those famous words, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. No, I, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In verse 17. And so we can look like we have it together, don't we? Actually, as I look out at all of you right now, I would say, what a bunch of people that look like they've got it going on. But we don't. We're wealthy, we're educated. Most of us, I say, are socially acceptable. Maybe 80%, maybe, I don't know. Don't ask me to put, uh, go any further than that. We look like we've got it together, basically, is what I'm saying. But how many of us, you say, who are on social media, oh, look, here's my problems. How many social media accounts do you see where people just lay out where they're really at? How many social media accounts, in whatever platform you use, are full of everything is fantastic? Before social media, we were good at it. And social media has fed that beast of needing to keep our guard up, I suspect. But Jesus himself says that he was for the broken, for those who were sick, those that have turned away from God. Not those who thought they had it all together, because in reality, even they didn't. And those who read these first two verses... And it should echo with them. Can start that journey with God. I've been there. That's my struggle. You could say. It's not those who see that they don't have a problem. It's those who see that they do. 
You see, the starting point in dealing with God, the starting point for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is admitting brokenness. And I think in a culture where a denial of our place before God, it's why we see more people right now sitting in cafes all around Adelaide than in churches hearing the word of God. It's because we don't think we have a problem. Have you been there? If you haven't, I want to put to you that you are going to have a very low view of God and his grace and his mercy if you don't see the problem. Like this psalmist does. But if you're in that moment, that broken place, the self-loathing where you know you can't fix it yourself, then Psalm 130 continues on. Have a look with me at Verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, if you, lo- if, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. You see, you don't start acknowledging the brokenness and then go into a spiral of hatred and self-loathing and guilt and rejection of God, you see the problem and then as the psalmist does, you realise, well, I can do nothing, but he forgives. See, the moment of clarity for him is that he's actually given himself a lot of space for God to come into his life. This self-realisation that God gives, uh, that God is actually one who wants to forgive, takes him from a place of despair into hope. He's understanding what he's like, and he knows that if he stood before God on his own, his record is poor. He's in a whole lot of trouble. No matter what your front is like, no matter what your social media account is like, no matter what you say to your friends, no matter what you're like when you're around others, God knows everything about you and it doesn't stack up. But God is willing. You see those uh, verse 4 there? With you there is forgiveness. God is willing. In fact, God loves to forgive. Can you hear that? Do you believe that? Even with whatever flaws you have, as the psalmist considers himself, he moves to the forgiveness of God. And the Israelites, they understood forgiveness wasn't a just, oh, don't worry about it, forget about it. They, they knew that it came with a great cost. Now, over this year, I have said sorry and asked for forgiveness to my wife, Jen, to my kids, I'm sure to some of you here, um, and, and to others, I've had to say sorry, as I'm sure you should have, and have too. But none of my apologies to my family came with a sacrifice of our lovely dog, Charlie. He didn't need to go under the knife at great cost. The wailing and gnashing of teeth, if that happened with my kids, would be unbearable with their love of Charlie. 
And yet the Israelites, the priests who who mediated and facilitated forgiveness in the nation, they weren't just kind of white-collar, latte-sipping hipsters with office hands that helped them. That's not a description of me. I'm not white, no. Um, They're better off being called butchers because they understood the cost of forgiveness because people had to come with their animal to the temple for forgiveness and often at these annual festivals and the cost of sin was clear and in front of them. That's why, you know, that crazy book in Leviticus and the Old Testament, you think, what is going on there and is crazy? All the laws and regulations and everything. But within that we see, like in Leviticus 16, they'd come with their best animal and they would bring it to be slaughtered. They'd take it to the temple, hands would be placed on the animal so that everyone know that this animal is in their place. And then it'd have its throat cut, the blood caught and sprinkled on the altar in the temple so as to secure forgiveness. It was messy, bloody and in your face. The the Israelites knew about forgiveness because God, when he has established his relationship with them, the covenant he gave them, built into it that they would understand that forgiveness comes with a cost. You know, it's what Jesus identified when he was critiquing more self-righteous people in Luke 7. That it's person who has been it's the person who's been forgiven much that loves much you see when we talk about forgiveness now if we understand a cost it goes deep and it goes way deeper than my stupid illustration with charlie and even way deeper than the amazing way that God set up the sacrifices of the Old Testament with his people, because those sacrifices point to something far more profound. Not the slaughter of a bull or a goat or a sheep. That was all pointing to God with us. Jesus who came at Christmas, spilling his blood for our forgiveness. How spectacular is it that the God the psalmist cries out to, the God who offers forgiveness, we can know forgives because he willingly came amongst us. Not to just say, it'll be okay, let me just hand out some cards that say I forgive you. No, but to deal with our brokenness, to deal with our rejection of him by going to the cross in our place. incredible depths of God's offer of forgiveness. Do you see that forgiveness? Are you tempted sometime to say, you know what, yeah, Jesus good, he died for me, but as if God's going to forgive me. But sometimes I think I'm just kind of, I'm worse. Are you really worse no matter how bad it is, and God is willing to do that. You will be forgiven when you come to him and ask for forgiveness in Jesus. 
But it doesn't just end there, this psalm. It's a journey. And forgiveness is the basis for the relationship, not the end point. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen waiting for the morning. More than watchmen waiting for the morning. Because he knows what he's like, and because he knows he's forgiven, he waits in hope. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. You see, I think what the key is here to understand, to grapple with, is that his problems aren't magically disappearing. It's not like you just get an eraser and rub it all out and it's like it's never all happened. In God's eyes and his view towards us, his death has dealt with our sin and we are right before him, but we're still living and struggling and battling and, and it's not like um, everything is just completely and conveniently fixed itself. Nothing troubles him anymore. I think sometimes we think it's supposed to be like that for us. We have a problem or we struggle with something and we're supposed to just work through it and get over it. That's what everyone else does with their problems, isn't it? No one else is having the same persistent issue. They just can't seem to shrug and get on with it. The good news is, do you realise it's not just you? Consider these verses. They're up there if you haven't got the Bible in front of you. He waits for God. And what is it about he waits for God? In God's word, he puts his hope. Uh, This week I got an email from someone uh, um, from Grove who who emailed me that they'd finished um, reading the whole Bible in a year that we started um, way back in um, February. And I was just writing to say how encouraging it was that they would never have dreamed to try and read the whole Bible in the year in, their, in one go. I'm going to share that. I think we'll put, I'll ask for their permission, but I think we'll put the whole um, email in our monthly booklet next month if it's so encouraging. But the point was that by reading God's Word, even when I didn't understand it, but by constantly coming to Him, I realised I would hope in Him more even when I was stressed or broken or or or, or struggling in life. That this constant habit of reading God's Word really, really helped them. And I think we see here the psalmist saying, well, all I can do is hope in God's words and what he says. What does it look like to wait and hope? Well, if you hope in God's Word and you wait, as in verse 6, there's a longing it's a battle. There's anticipation. Here's the watchman on the tower, not knowing where the enemy is going to come from next, not knowing where his next attack is going to come from. And so when the light of the morning comes, there's this like, I can see them now. There's this internal battle going on. On the one hand, he is troubled by what he knows he's like. And on the other hand, God's word is this like this relieving tonic that tells him with no uncertainty forgiveness is here 
On the one hand, he sees himself as a failure, someone no one could forgive if they truly knew what he was like and what he had done. Do you feel like that? And on the other hand, he has a God who knows exactly what he's like and who actually does forgive him. Waiting in hope for the psalmist. I think it's what we would call, you know, faith, trust. To live a life in trusting in God day by day, what it looks like is to just turn to Him. Believing that what God says is true. When God says, if Jesus is for us, who can be against us? We trust in that to be wholeheartedly true and we move on in the arms of God. The internal, there is that internal battle. You find it hard to believe that God would forgive you sometimes. Is that true? I wonder if you're here today and you've never actually asked God truly for forgiveness in Jesus and you're wondering whether you could. If Jesus did come and die for you, what you hear today is that you can. We do find it hard to believe that God could love us sometimes when we feel so unlovable, particularly when others don't treat us with love. Maybe even as God's people, we get it wrong and we don't love each other. We find it hard to believe that God would persevere with us when we keep making the same mistakes time and time and time again. And yet, if Jesus would die, is he going to then go, well, no, I'm over it. If he would die and conquer the grave, his forgiveness is sure. You see, friends, I think when the psalmist says he's waiting, I think he's waiting for what he's longing for, is a resolution to this internal battle he faces every day. But while he waits, the perspective he's going to take on for himself isn't what he tells himself or how he wakes up feeling each day, but it's what God says about him. I found that a really helpful reflection this week. What voices are you listening to when you wake up in the morning? The ones that say you are stupid, the ones that say you're not valuable, the ones that say that you have let so many people down, the ones that say you're not truly loved by anyone? Or are you going to listen to the voice of God in his word which unequivocally, with the greatest evidence you could possibly have, the death of Jesus, tell you that you are treasured by God? You see, in the New Testament, and we could, I could spend ages here going in it, but the New Testament outlines this treasure so deeply for, it, for us. We're told that we are completely forgiven every, every week. Once a month when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we remind ourselves of the words of 1 John. If you confess your sins, you are forgiven, he says in 1 John 1, 8-9. We are completely forgiven. God's love is, not, is, is unconditional, not, not conditional, just to clarify. It's unconditional, right? That means that it's not dependent upon your acts. I don't wake up in the morning and, and declare to my kids, 
that if they don't do the washing, mow the lawns for me, well, that would be really dangerous, but mow the lawns for me, clean the pool and make me lunch, that if they do those things, then I will choose to love them. No, my starting point is when they don't do those things, I will love them anyway. And it's great when they do. It's unconditional. And his love is far more unconditional. It is absolutely 100% unconditional, not dependent upon how we treat him. We are adopted as his children. He's lavished his love on us. He will never abandon us. As I said before, God is for us. No one is against us. And there will be a time when God will resolve this inner battle that rages within you. When Jesus returns and we have life with him, when we spend eternity with the Lord Jesus. What a great psalm this is for where it takes us. And we now reach the conclusion of this journey. We've gone from sorrow. We've gone from understanding the brokenness. We've seen the forgiveness. We've seen the hope on the journey. And as we get to the end, we see the calling of others to this hope, the witnessing to his people. So he says in verses 7 to 8, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. With the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. As I reflect on this, at first glance, it kind of seems like a strange conclusion because this psalmist has been talking, kind of, it's been a personal reflection that we've been doing for ourselves and making it personal for us. And then he just kind of declares, Israel, all of God's people. Why does he do that? Well, I think it's because we see where this journey, the natural conclusion of this journey needs to take us. Let's see that to finish off. You see, if you stopped at the end of verse 2, life would be miserable and without hope and you live in guilt or you live in self-denial. You live with your failures and either you just say, well, they make me stronger and then move on or those failures devastate you but you're never able to see your way through. That could be where you're at today. But it doesn't have to be because you can be forgiven by God. But as important as it is to move from there to forgiveness, we see that a relationship with God doesn't end. What does God have planned for you? To deal with your struggles in life with hope. With a relationship which means that you have certainty that you know there is hope and God's word is there for you to depend upon. God has something planned for you. We see that God in his goodness, he gives us everything we need. We know by what Jesus has done, we can truly hope. So, if we have forgiveness... We can live a life of hope and we know this with clarity because of what Jesus has done for us. If that is how we've encountered God, then don't you think it would be odd to keep it to ourselves? And I think that's why the psalmist goes there. Having realised what he's realised on his journey and experienced what he's experienced, 
the mercy and forgiveness of the unfailing love of God, his mind turns to those he loves so that they might experience it. He turns to his people, those he is amongst, and he says, Israel, you need to know that God redeems you. We often think of talking about God as an imposition on people. Often because they will say, well, it's an imposition on me that you tell me about God. An invasion of personal space or an intolerance of personal opinion. But for the psalmist here, it's the logical flow of his journey. If only other people didn't have to pretend that they had it all together. That only if only other people could see themselves through how God sees them. Uh, if you've been coming to Grove for any period of time, you would know there's a particular verse. We don't have our signs up because we've moved and we're getting new ones. There's a particular verse that we're very much shaped Grove on. Any of our regulars want to yell out what that verse is? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It's up on the screen. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Christ's love kind of compels us, throws us out into wanting to share that love. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying is that I've got to tell people this and Jesus loved us so much, why would we hold on to this love as if no one else can have it? It's kind of the taking away of it. It's kind of just totally contradictory. Christ's love compels us, as uh, 2 Corinthians goes on to say, we are ambassadors. We are the ones who actually represent Jesus and what he's done. When we think like that, it seems strange, I would say even selfish, if we deny sharing what God was like and what he'd done in Jesus. And so the journey takes you, if you hear at this point, to ask the question, do you have a heart for those around you that don't know God? Are you embarrassed to share how extraordinary this love is? Do you assume they've got it all together and they don't need him? Today just reminds us very clearly, those around us, like us, are good pretenders. Maybe today this reality is for you. That you see that Jesus does love you. Today could be this day, the last Sunday in 2018, where you realise I am now on a journey with God. I'm a follower of His. I trust in Him. There doesn't need to be any more confusion as there's lots to work out, I'm sure. But if you make that decision to know that you've asked for forgiveness and trust in Jesus, you can have that hope the psalmist is sharing. I'd love you to consider that more. As we've already brought up, the How Would You Fix the World series in the next few weeks, over four weeks, has come up up on the screen there, Michelle. Just go to the last one for me. The four talks that we're going to have on that. These four weeks are a chance for us to see that the only way that we fix the world is to see that 
Jesus is the only offer of real hope. I'd love you to come back and wrestle with it more. I'd love all of us to pray that maybe there are people that we love, that we don't want to keep it from, that we would invite. They may say it's an imposition and don't come, but does that stop us? You see, there are many ways that we want to suggest we can fix the world, but it's only in Jesus where our problems with him can be dealt with. Let me finish today by sharing with you a bit of John Bunyan, an English Christian in the 1600s who was constantly in prison for his outspoken beliefs. Maybe you don't know of him, but you maybe know his famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. You've heard of that book? Pilgrim's Progress is an absolute cracker of a book and if you've never read it and you like an allegory, it's like seriously, you must do it. It's an amazing book in which he shares the journey of Christian as he goes on the journey of life. Let me read to you a little bit of it. He's walking through life and carrying different people and obstacles to his faith and he's heading towards the celestial city from the city of destruction. At the end, after all of life's trials... This is what he records. I see myself now at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. I am going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns and that face that was spit upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith, but now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I, I delight myself. I have loved to hear my Lord spoken of, and wherever I have seen the print of his shoe in the earth, there I have coveted to set my foot to. We will get to be with the Lord Jesus into all eternity. As we wait... We can live this Christian life with God knowing forgiveness, knowing what he's done for us, hoping in him, trusting in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may today be the day where we remind ourselves, encourage one another, to truly journey with you because you so desperately want to be in relationship with us. We thank you that you rescue us in Jesus. Amen.